0: This is the Business Stuff Podcast. This is where I will share the lessons I've learned from advising thousands of businesses over almost 30 years. Each episode will give you practical insight to allow you to learn from other people's mistakes. I'll be pulling in experts from our team
1: and the world of business, and together we'll make sure your business is giving you what you want.
0: My name is Martin, and this is the Business Stuff Podcast.
1: Hello, it's Jack from the Accelerate team, not Martin. Martin's decided to take a week off, so he's left me in charge for a week, so I'll see what happens. But anyway, I'm here, I'm joined by Andrew from our Hello. Audit and Assurance department. Hello, Andrew. You all right? Hi,
0: Jack. I'm good, thanks, how are you?
1: Good, good, yeah. You seem to be really excited about having one of these posh microphones on for the first time. Buzzing.
0: that the first time, that will have gone really loud as well.
1: They've <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, just deafened our, our, our audience, but yeah, it's fine. Don't worry, I'm sure they'll forgive you. Uh, so we're gonna talk a little bit about auditing, aren't we? We are indeed. It's It's one of those areas where, I don't know, there seems to be this misconception people assume it's boring to start off with, which I think is actually quite unfair,
0: Yeah,
1: um, and but there's also a lot of misconceptions as well about auditing, mm-hmm. which um, we'll probably get onto later on. But to start off with, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself, a little bit about the Audit and Assurance Department, and now uh, kind of what you guys do over there.
0: Yeah, so I'm Andrea Simmons. Um, I've been an auditor for nine years now, so quite, quite a long time. Um, so of that time, I've been at Robson for almost four years now, two years as an audit manager. Um, and my job is to do both accounts preparation, like manage projects, um, audit, uh, as well as bits of tax and things like that as well. And um, so I'm kind of like a key contact with the clients to liaise, but also manage like, the teams who are working on all the jobs. Um, and our department here is oh gosh, I'm about 15 people in Jesmond, maybe and we've got similar kind of team over in Chesley Street as well, so it's quite a big department at yes,
1: certainly sneaked up in size from the last time I checked, Yeah, but well, that's great to hear. And um, so you kind of, as you said, it's kind of a mix of kind of general accounting, accounts preparation and, and this auditing as well. Mm-hmm. So there are lots of different types of audits out there, you know, both non-financial and financial ones. And even within the financial side, there's probably quite a lot which, um, you know, some of them might confuse people. So if we're going to say purely we do a statutory audit,
0: mm.
1: like what is what is a statutory audit to start off with?
0: So a statutory audit, a lot of companies need this because they've breached um, medium-sized company thresholds. Um, I'm not going to go into the exact detail, but... Um, <laughs> they should know though, shouldn't they? Should, they should, should know though, it's, it's on, you can find it on um, the internet, on Google. Yeah, <laughs> um, but. Basically, what ha- the purpose of an audit is to kind of reassure users of a financial statements that the company's accounts are like a true and fair view of that business's performance in the year. Mm-hmm. Um, so we kind of just we'll go through all the different sections of the accounts so of things like fixed assets, debtors, cash, um, and we do what's like sample testing or analytical reviews on those. So what's like a very general <laughs> misconception of an audit? Is that we, as auditors, look at absolutely every single transaction that a business has done in the year? Like, so that's like not realistic because if you think of like a big company that could have had, say, like a a, a bar company that could have literally made, set sold millions of drinks and had separate transactions like the mm. day and stuff like in the till so we couldn't verify every single one of those transactions. We're not We're not ticking off every single no, bit, so, like, receipt from... <laughs> we've got to basically decide what's risky and what's not risky but also come up what we think would be a material figure that would, if it was wrong by that amount, would like impact the user's view of those statements. Mm-hmm. So we would use that to then pick a sample um, and test and so we'll get then get an idea if we think that section of the accounts is like reasonably accurate based on our sample testing and looking at some analytical mm-hmm. reviews.
1: So on a, on a, if we were putting it into a nutshell basically this true and fair view as you said which is a mm-hmm. very important term in auditing isn't it that basically the, the accounts look reasonable and they're not completely fabricated.
0: Yeah like they haven't just plucked figures from the sky and yes. it's you know millions and millions of pounds out although for some companies I mean they're probably not the size of companies that we would deal with but some of the larger audit firms might be looking at a I don't know a billion pounds. Client and they might have an error of say a million pound and that would be all right for them based on their materiality but we would never come across a business that size
1: yeah i mean that's the scary thing when you're thinking about that mm-hmm. a million pounds is a lot of money for, yeah. for anyone but then when you suddenly but so that's actually a tolerable error when you're actually looking at yeah exactly account. so if
0: there's an error of like say 500 grand we wouldn't like well the auditors wouldn't you know make an issue of it Whereas mm-hmm. obviously someone who would look at it as like a normal customer and you think oh that's loads of money Oh yeah, totally.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so we kind of touched on that there are certain um, like, thresholds that if you exceed in terms of your size of your turnover, your balance sheet, your employees, you have to, under, under company law, you mm-hmm. have to have an audit. Mm-hmm. But there'll be other scenarios, wouldn't there, where people might want to have an audit?
0: Yeah, so some, some people like to have an audit just for like, their own peace of mind to know that their staff are actually like, you know, doing things correctly and that they're employing the correct finance people. Um, also for loans, like a lot of like, big banks say like HSBC Barclays, etc. If they're going to provide a big loan to a, a, one of our clients, a lot of the time they'll want as like a, con- a condition of that that it's been audited. That just mm-hmm. gives them a the peace of mind as well that like the forecasting information that the clients given the banks is again like true and fair to the best of like their knowledge.
1: Yeah. So and and obviously that might be the case with grant funding as well, perhaps. Mm-hmm. And yeah. um, you know, even if there's some angel investors out there, or yeah, they they might want mm-hmm. that as well. So that's, that's interesting. So we kind of touched on it a little bit there, but um, about misconceptions uh, uh, and where you said that people assume that they, that you look at every single transaction and therefore when stuff doesn't, when stuff comes out in the wash and they generally blame the auditor. Mm -hmm. Are there any other kind of misconceptions that you've come across while you've been auditing?
0: That's boring. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of people think accountants are boring, but we're, we're really not. I think they'll find that we're, you know, It's quite an interesting job in the sense that you get into to know lots of like different companies and how the businesses work and it's not just like the same thing every day. Mm -hmm. And you know, there's some kind of tasks you'll do that you learn a lot more about business than you really think about. Like I think I once did something called a fixed asset verification, which is where you go into say like a a client's factory um, and you have to like check that, say a bit of equipment is actually there and it's being used. I did that once and I got like told about the whole manufacturing process and um a bit just generally bits about a business that you would never, ever know otherwise mm-hmm. and so it's actually quite interesting it's not just like you sit there and just tick things away yeah
1: as a, as a curious person it's always quite fascinating isn't it yeah i mean i've i've also an auditing background for those who are surprised to to realize that uh, and yeah I, I can certainly testify that it's one of the most interesting places it's one of those places that you can learn a lot very quickly mm-hmm. you can learn good practices how good businesses run Mm-hmm. how bad businesses are run, and it's generally around their, <laughs> yeah, around their controls, um, you know, and how they operate And it. It's a really interesting place and it's, there's no surprise that, you know, a lot of the, the top financial leaders out there, you know, mm-hmm. generally come from accountancy and a lot of those come from auditing backgrounds yeah. as well, don't they?
0: Yeah.
1: Are there any other misconceptions that you can think of? Um, I mean, I certainly can think of, again, we, we slightly touched on it, is that if there's something wrong with the accounts and mm-hmm. it's not picked up by the auditor, it's always the auditor's fault, but as you said, that's not always the case, is it?
0: Yeah, so again, if there's something kind of immaterial that immaterial that we've not picked up, then you know it would be because it's immaterial, so we wouldn't have like found it for that reason. Sometimes we might find an error that's not material in the sense that we would demand it was like corrected. But there's like we have like, another threshold which is called like triviality. And um, so that's just it's like big enough that we would alert management about it and just say, look, you know, we think this is incorrect. We recommend that you fix them, basically, but at the end of the day, for those ones, it's like management's decision as to whether or not they get corrected. So, mm-hmm. we might have flagged a difference, but it wouldn't modify, like, an audit opinion unless it reached our overall materiality, like, level.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, again, just a. So I can get my head around this. So
1: we've got basically got two numbers. We've got the materiality level, which is the figure where if you exceed that, Mm -hmm. either as an individual error or Mm -hmm. potentially a a combination of lots of errors, if it goes over that number, so say if it was half a million pounds, Mm -hmm. if there was 501,000 pounds worth of errors that you picked up on, that's when you would actually have to change the accounts. Yeah. And
0: if they didn't change it, then that would then lead to like a modified audit opinion which mm-hmm. would then obviously have quite big consequences for the client yeah
1: and we'll, yeah we'll, we'll definitely go onto that um, and then obviously that second then is the triviality which is very small areas yeah which won't really f- reflect you know affect the, the as you said the investment decision mm-hmm. behind those accounts and they don't really need to be adjusted for so mm-hmm. maybe a rounding error for example for a, a few quid something yeah. like that which again we shouldn't really get too hung up on
0: yeah and say that like, triviality was like 10 grand anything less than that would just wouldn't mm-hmm. entertain but anything in between those two levels it's just good practice for clients to be adjusting it because yeah. it then just means that they short interest in their accounts and that they, mm-hmm. they want them to be right but equally sometimes it, the benefits are like outweighed by the cost of processing an adjustment for something that's quite small mm-hmm. which is often a reason why some clients may not choose to post those adjustments but even then I imagine it's probably quite an alien concept
1: for people listening going like oh, so there can be a ten thousand pound error in, yeah. in the accounts and you don't change it you don't have to change it it's, it's strange but again i imagine that's a another misconception that yeah before really. but then
0: for some clients ten thousand would be a material amount for us yeah and so then, then it would need to be changed yeah that's true it's a good um, point cause this because is we all... do do small some small clients as well so it really just depends on the size of the business and also like how risky we think the industry and things are there's quite yeah. a lot of factors that go into it
1: yeah, that's, that's, that's worth, yeah, re- reaffirming that I say yeah, the guy, the corner shop around the, round the street's not going to have a materiality of millions of no. pounds. He's <laughs> Probably close here, to but... a grand or something like that. <laughs> Exactly, yeah. <laughs> um, so I suppose another question to ask them just off the back of that is obviously auditing is a specialist area within the accountancy firm mm-hmm. or the accountancy industry. So who actually can do it? Presumably, like. The, the bookkeeper you use around the around the corner may not necessarily be able to do audits? Are yeah, any... so,
0: I would say, first of all, it has to be someone external to the business. Mm-hmm. Like, a lot of businesses have internal audit teams, which is, like, slightly different, and that'll just, like, review, like, they might do, like, a little, like, a s- a similar kind of process, but, like, an internal version, but also mm-hmm. they might just review things like the risk registers and how the processes are going. Yeah. But they're, like, paid by the staff. It's a bit different, so then an external audit would have to be, like I say, someone from the business removed like an impartial third party so i would usually say it would have to be like an accountancy firm or someone that's like qualified um you know that the firm would have to have like a status with with like an accountancy body yeah um, so or... they'll be registered
1: with one of the, one of the yeah yeah one so of that the they like
0: bodies. trustworthy and it's someone who's like got the accred- accreditation <laughs> i can't mm-hmm. say that <laughs> accreditation, <laughs> accreditation. <laughs> something, something like that yeah <laughs> to be able to carry out an mm-hmm. audit yeah
1: and uh, obviously it's uh it's not necessarily given though, there's obviously been a lot of stuff in the news over the past few years about auditors and when stuff goes wrong. Mm-hmm. And um, I suppose it's worth it's to reaffirm the point that you should really kind of do your research into individual com- firms and kind of their auditing history. I mean, yeah. I suppose you have some big four experience, don't you? But yeah, they're yeah. generally always in their headlines for doing Something nefarious or.
0: Yeah, I think realistically. Like am not ask... asking you to spill the beans. No, <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> I did five years at a big four firm, so I understand. Like, it's one of those ones. I think they obviously get quite a lot of bad press because they're the big names. Um, mm-hmm. Do the big jobs. Big jobs, and so like, it's not necessarily a case that there's a correlation between the big jobs and something that's sketchy. But yeah. um, you know, it's something that's probably more likely to get in the press. But. Yeah, it's it's it kind of a lot of the time it, it does come down to the, the misconceptions I said before in terms of like materiality and things like that. But then, you know, audit firms can still make mistakes, and sometimes if something's missed, then obviously mm. the firm would then be penalised for that as well, not just the client. And I think that's like the fair kind of process mm. of, to make sure that the audit industry like remains like credible.
1: Definitely, yeah, and I feel like it's almost kind of the the proportion of the bad auditors to good auditors mm-hmm. is. You know a lot a lot lower than people yeah. may think because again only the bad stuff gets reported well, to exactly. Press, it, it? it
0: does give us a bad name but at the end of the day the amount of actual audits that are like go wrong in that sense are like very small proportion of all it's the exactly. same with anything if anyone has like a complaint you hear more about complaints than like positive things yeah absolutely um, and that's just I guess how it is but that's what ends up getting into the press yeah so
1: if we if if we have a listener on who's maybe preparing Maybe they've, they've hit these thresholds, or their manager, the boss has turned around said we're going to get an audit this year. Mm-hmm. What what advice have you got them for them in terms of getting ready for an audit?
0: So what I would always say is to prepare a year end file where possible. Now, what if you've got like a trial balance ready for year end? That's what we would ask for as a first instance, and then that's what we would then look to see like breakdowns of all those kind of balances. So if you've got for instance just as like an example of a section say you've got like your debtor section within that you're going to have an amount that's owed to you uh, owed from your trade debtors at your end mm-hmm. Say that's a hundred grand we're going to want like to see something that shows that a hundred grand it's often like a, an age, age debtors report that comes off your software um but essentially just breakdowns of all your key balance sheet balances and then for anything like profit and loss transactional wise just have like files of invoices like available already because when we do a sample test we're going to need to see things like invoices and and mm. also just I guess when it comes to booking down the time for an order which is often it can be a site visit sometimes not because of you know since COVID and remote working um I guess just have the time to sit and maybe like go through the controls and processes with whoever the order team is because we'll want to know exactly how the business works
1: mm-hmm. no absolutely um so what we're saying there is good third-party evidence where possible yeah. because ultimately we need to prove that those balances exist mm-hmm. or are complete or whatever we won't get too much into the technical into the assertions <laughs> the technical audit like la- uh, language and um, obviously ensuring that all your systems are up to date and processes um, and obviously all of the supporting information behind that as you said, we're not going to test every transaction, but yeah. we still are going to be testing some of them. So we're going to need that that key data, like invoices, as you said. Yeah. You know, potentially some sales orders, purchase orders, stuff like that.
0: And to some degree you can preempt some of it, you know, if you've got like fixed assets and you've got some additions, nine times out of ten we're going to test the big ones. There's obviously going to be as part of a sample we'll pick some random ones, but there'll be some that we'll have to test based on size. So I would almost always have your biggest invoice just like ready to go, because mm-hmm. that's nine times out of ten gonna be asked for.
1: Yeah and again you touched on there, on, on timings there it's order auditing can be quite a long process, yeah, so it's more than you may go out for say a week or two weeks and stuff like just because you've gone out and done those two weeks worth of work doesn't mean the audit's done there's there's obviously stuff happening in the background isn't it it's quite a a, a long winded process because yeah. you know you have to be very deliberate about these things, don't you
0: yeah so the general the general process of an order is we would reach out with clients and say you know, we'd like some information. Once we've agreed what data we're going to go out on site, for instance, we'll say we'll send a list of information that we're, we need. Um, the idea is that the client would have that all prepared, ready for when we go out on site, bar any samples that would then like be like follow up samples. We would try and go through all of that on site. Hopefully everything's available, ready to go, Take everything in, find out, like have conversations with the client, you know, get all the answers and the understanding as to why things have moved, just generally what's, how the business has performed in the year, so that we can make sure things like in line with what we would expect. All the site work would hopefully be done in those weeks. Then there'll be like a follow-up process if there's anything that we hadn't received on site that was still needed. Um, and then there's like a review process. So like as a manager, that's kind of like a lot of the time where I come in. Um, and I'll like make sure that the work done by my team is all like up to scratch and like it all makes sense to me what's happened in the year mm-hmm. and then sometimes that'll like there'll be queries that'll come out of that which might mean having to go back to the client to get like more details um, understanding behind things um, and then it goes to the next partner review and then obviously when it get, we're, we usually have a meeting with with the client to kind of go through what we think they could improve on what went well and um, we like to mm-hmm. kind of give them some like financial insights from their data um, which is always quite a nice touch mm-hmm. Um, and then we'd report so many errors and things that we think need to be corrected. Yeah, it's
1: important, obviously, getting that feedback to make mm-hmm. sure that next year it's not a recurring issue. Yeah. And obviously that's easier said than done because sometimes some of these things are very much entrenched in, in, in clients' uh, kind of ways they do things. Yeah. But, you know, it, it's important that we obviously provide that feedback, don't we? Mm-hmm. Um, so, again, we, we kind of touched on it a little bit earlier, but what are the, the consequences if, if there is a, say there's a material error? the... and you report that to the client mm-hmm. and they say we're not going to change it because we disagree. Mm-hmm. What, what what happens then? What so, is the process?
0: So what would happen then is if they refuse to make a material correction is we have to then like modify the audit opinion. So normally a clean audit opinion or unmodified would basically say that we believe that everything's true and fair, they've given us all the information that asked for and that there's not no like material uncertainties about things like going concern or there's no like big errors essentially mm-hmm. it's like a big standard word and obviously just, just to
1: quickly touch on that going concern is obviously something uh, when a, a business can guarantee trade for the next 12 months is it
0: yes yeah so if if for any reason it's un- looking unlikely that a business is like not going to continue within the next 12 months state i think might default on a loan or, or something like that then we have to disclose that in the statements because mm-hmm. um, it means that the value of the business and isn't quite represented correctly, because things will all be worth a lot less if you had to, like fire sale assets and things like that. Yeah. Um, so that's quite a key part of that factors into the audit opinion. Um, but if, so if we had to modify an opinion, it essentially says that we don't think it's, it's true and fair, there is like something wrong. It could be that we've just highlighted a matter, so we've said like an emphasis, it's something called an emphasis of matter, mm-hmm. so there'll be something specific that stands out that isn't right, but everything else we're happy with. Um, but if it's a full, like, um, modified opinion, then it's, it has a lot of implications for the client because anyone who's reading those statements, especially, like, investors or banks, they're probably going to think about pulling their the money out of their business because it just suggests that it's mm-hmm. lies, basically. There's, there's something fundamentally wrong with the accounts.
1: Yeah, I mean, I suppose it's the, they're kind of asking... The alarm bells are ringing for them, won't they? Because it'll mm-hmm. just be, well... Um, why would you change that number? Yeah. And um, if you if this number is not right, then how can I be sure that all of these other numbers are necessarily right?
0: Yeah, it spirals essentially. It's mm-hmm. like, oh well, yeah. As you say, it could mean that there's a bigger problem elsewhere, and also like just the attitude of management. That's like not a great sign if they're not willing to, want to show their accounts in a fair, in a fair way. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, it it could, you know, it could have a lot of knock-on effects, but it could ultimately mean that they would lose their investors and funding mm-hmm. and. It, you know they might have to go out of business as a result that's quite an extreme mm. but it can happen
1: yeah and obviously the, the the easiest way for a company to get around that would be to try and strong land their auditors and get them to basically un un-modify, un unmodify their mm. audit opinion so but there are obviously pretty punitive uh, sanctions in place for auditors aren't there if, if they do find to be falsely reporting on this stuff
0: yeah, well like, this is kind of where it leads into the press kind of thing, you know, some, sometimes it is a case where we'll just miss something, but a lot, of, like, not a lot of time, but, you know, some of the big cases that's happened in the past, the the big four, like, that have been involved, have been fined, you know, substantially um, for their errors, mm-hmm. but also like the, the RI, which is like the responsible individuals, so that's usually a partner or director, might end up either getting their professional qualification withdrawn, Mm-hmm. you know penalties it's, it's very serious yes yeah, like so you yeah. can no longer be director so it does have like a big impact on the the the, the key individual who's mm-hmm. involved in the audit
1: and and just touching on on, on the on the some of the high, high profile high profile press that's happened is uh generally when stuff's gone wrong especially with some of the big four stuff is it's it's generally because they're, they're being mixed up in some ethical issues, because mm-hmm. there are some pretty, um, pretty important ethical considerations when doing auditing, isn't there? Mm-hmm. And mainly around kind of self-review and, and management yeah. threats and stuff like that, because mm-hmm. a lot of these big fours have been involved in kind of consultancy stuff on the side of of, um, you know, of doing the audit, which kind of affects their their ability to be impartial, mm-hmm. is that fair to say?
0: Yeah, there's, there's sometimes instances where a lot, and on a lot of clients, you might find that you do other services for them, not just audit. Mm-hmm. There's like rules in place that suggest that cot the amount of fees that you're getting from your non-audit services can't be a certain percentage of like your audit fees. Otherwise, it can like threaten your independence mm-hmm. because the idea is if you say if like you say you propose an error to them and they said, well, no, I'm not changing it, and if you mm-hmm. don't give me a clean audit opinion, then I'm going to pull. Or the other accounting services. Yeah. If that fee is big enough then it might then sway the audit to think all right fine yeah and, mm-hmm. that, and that's obviously like a breach of like ethical standards and that would be the kind of thing that would result in fines and penalties.
1: And, and similarly if you were involved in preparing those accounts to start with, mm-hmm. and you uncovered an error you were like "Oh, I don't think I really want to tell them about that one because that's our yeah. fault.
0: So what of, often happens is you have like different teams and then there's like a segregation of duties in the audit team and it's like walls, like fictitious walls in between so that mm. it's different reviewers and so that it's not the same person who is yeah prepared the accounts who's then like audited them and then reviewed them mm-hmm. Um, and it just means that that like limits that happening and there's various sort safeguards and stuff in place as well, like you can't have like worked like at, like you can't have like worked with a client within a couple of years beforehand of being the auditors, yeah. you know, because that's like familiarity um, so there's like lots of safeguards in place for that, for like if mm-hmm. a good auditor, like it, their processes will in- include those and then the client is always like made aware of those as part of like compliance reasons so that they know that like from an ethical point of view that the order is like acting in the best interests. Because
1: yeah, I mean even we do and, and we're working at a relatively low level compared to some of the big boys but we still have to put in safeguards for yes. basic stuff like preparing their corporation tax mm-hmm. alongside the order and or actually even formatting the accounts into the, kind of their structure statutory format, don't we mm-hmm. so it's, it's yeah, there's a lot of considerations. it's not as straightforward as a lot of people think yeah. well, I suppose the last question I had for you was um i suppose what it, what advice would you have for someone who's aware of audits who are thinking do i do I need one I mean what are the thresholds am I, am I about to imminently exceed them? do I need to start doing some forward planning kind of what mm-hmm. what what advice would you have for them?
0: So, I would make yourself aware of the thresholds, first of all. Um, I think if you think you're going to breach it within the next 12 months, you have got a bit of time because mm-hmm. the way it works is you'd have to, you'd have to breach the thresholds two years in a row to have your first audit. Mm-hmm. So, it means that if you breach it one year, you've got, like I say, time to kind of think about, you know, am I going to need an audit? Like, am I going to breach it again the second year in a row? And then start speaking to different firms. And like I say, it's, you know, people think of the big four Initially, that's obviously what comes to mind because of the press, but there's loads of firms out there like we are, for instance. Like, you know, we service companies of all different sizes, it's not just mm-hmm. like tiny firms, we'll have really big ones as well. Yeah, um, so we do have a very big mixture of clients, and I think it's mostly just kind of shopping around to like, try and find an order who you know meets the kind of service that you want. Um, you know, are you wanting one that's just very compliance. get it done, don't? Like get involved with you the rest of the year, Mm -hmm. whereas some like accounting firms like us, we kind of like check in with our clients and just you know make sure things are going all right, and touch base and you provide other services, Um, and I guess also to see what kind of what your fee expectations and stuff are and just like Mm -hmm. yeah, I suppose
1: that's one thing. It's it's not necessarily a cheap exercise compared to particularly if you don't need to have one. Yeah. But you can justify the value in it
0: because, as you said, it gives that peace of mind, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. And again, think about future financing as well. So if you are going to go to a big bank, there is a good chance they're going to ask you for an audit. So if you're already doing it anyway, then it mm-hmm. just saves having to, like, last minute flap around to try and get something in place. Yeah, it puts
1: you in their good books. Mm-hmm. Might, give, might give you some uh, some good grace when you're trying to negotiate those interest rates, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Well, thank you very much, Andrea. Um, thank you. I really hope that you guys uh, got some interest off that. Um, as I said, audit can be a bit of a dry subject, but I think Andrea's done a very good job at explaining it in something slightly more interesting than you know reading, reading it off, off one of the handbooks. And um, obviously, if you've got any questions about auditing, feel free to reach out to Andrea. Uh, we'll have all of the details in, there, in the details below. And uh, we'll catch you on the next one. Okay, thank you.